So like I say, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've come to chapter 12. Chapter 12, 13, and 14 are connected together, and they're talking about spiritual gifts. So in some ways, we've almost got a, a mini-series within the, the big series. Uh, we've started looking at this section in chapter 12, and we were setting out the uh, principles, the foundational principles that Paul sets out to the Corinthians. And last time we were here in the passage, the week before last, we started looking at the individual uh, spiritual gifts, and we covered uh, the first two. But I think it would be very, very helpful for us just to quickly go through those foundational principles that we find in those first few verses. It's so important we get them right. If, if we don't get them right, then we get everything else wrong. And we need to get everything else right because this is so important. As, as Paul tells the Corinthians, and as we said in our first point, spiritual gifts matter to the life of the church. Paul didn't want the Corinthians to be uninformed there in verse 1. He says, you need to know. And, and they needed to know because some alleged spiritual gifts can be fakes. There were some dangerous things going on and around Corinth. And it was dangerous. And so the Corinthians needed to know. They needed to know what was true, what was right, what was good. And then we saw very, very importantly, at the very, very beginning from verse 3, that spiritual gifts declare Christ as Lord. This is like the test. If, if you're not sure if a spiritual gift is a spiritual gift, what is it doing? And if it's not declaring Christ as Lord, then it is probably not. It probably definitely is not a spiritual gift. And then we saw in verse 3 that again that salvation is, is totally and utterly linked to spiritual gifts. Salvation itself is a gift. Salvation is coming to know Jesus as Lord. And it's that point of salvation when we receive the Holy Spirit. And we saw that in this passage. And we also cross-referenced it in Ephesians 1, 13 and Acts 2, uh, 38. And I think what surprised a lot of us was the fifth foundational principle that we came to. And that's that spiritual gifts are not just from the Holy Spirit. You've probably heard of them referred to as the gifts of the Spirit. And, and surely the Holy Spirit is the one who works and, and is the one who uses these. But as we look through the passage, we saw that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were very much involved in the gifts and giving us the gifts and empowering the gifts and allowing the gifts to work in our hearts and our lives. And then we saw very importantly that spiritual gifts are not primarily for your own personal benefit. Spiritual gifts are for the, the benefit of the church. They are for the, the benefit of all. Uh, they're for everyone to, the, the God's church to be blessed with and blessed by. And as we go on into the book of Corinthians, we will see how they were misusing the gifts primarily because they were using them for their own personal benefit and not for the church. And tragically, we see that today. And that's why these foundational principles are so important. We also noted uh, in our seventh principle from here that the, 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 the spiritual gifts that are listed in verses 8 to 10, the ones we're looking at at the moment, that's not the full list. 
You can see further ones in Romans and Ephesians and in Peter. And, and so that, that, that this is a greater list that, than what is there. And then really importantly, we saw from verse 11 of this chapter 12 that spiritual gifts are not chosen. We, we don't say, that's what I want. That's what I'll have. Me, please. You don't go and learn it. You don't get a, a, a tutorial from YouTube to get the gifts of the Spirit. They are given by the Holy Spirit. Now, while we agree on these principles, these are the foundational principles, we also realize that outside of that, there can be some areas of contention, some areas of disagreement. And there's one big area of disagreement, one big area of contention, one big area of difference that it can be. It shouldn't be contentious. Uh, it, it, we, we should be able to get around it. We should be able to work through it without fighting one another. But the, the, the big challenge is that there are those who are called cessationists and they believe that certain spiritual gifts, particularly the miraculous and the relatively uh, that uh, are described in the New Testament, have ceased to be normative after the uh, apostolic era or after the completion of the New Testament. And there are others, uh, continuous, sometimes known probably better known as Charismatics or Pentecostals, and, and they believe that, that the spiritual gifts described in the New Testament continue to be active and available to uh, believers. And as we've been going through this in, on our Zoom meeting in the evenings, this question keeps coming up. And when we went through the Bible Academy, and we were so blessed to be there, and so blessed to have that teaching, this, this kept coming up. What is it? Are the gifts for today? Are they not for today? What does it all mean? And yes, God willing, we will answer that question from God's Word. But as we just set this foundation, as we look at these spiritual gifts now, what we're going to be doing, and what we've started doing with the first two, and what we will continue to do, is look at them in their, in, in, in their perspective of this was letter written to the Corinthians, and for the Corinthians at that moment in time, they were very relevant. This was God speaking to the Corinthians through the Apostle Paul, using utterance of wisdom, using utterance of knowledge is a great example of those gifts. And then as we get a benchmark and a basis of what it meant for the Corinthians then, then we can start elaborating and seeing what does it mean for us now. And so, if you're not here next week or the week after, you'll have to listen online to get that answer because that answer is not happening today. What we are doing today is continuing to look at the, those gifts. Uh, and we mentioned last time that some of these gifts are extraordinary and some of them are ordinary. They can be categorized like that. There's lots of different categories that uh, are given to them to help us understand them. We started looking at uh, utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge uh, last week. And we saw that in some senses, those were extraordinary. And sometimes they can be, feel a bit more ordinary. But generally speaking, it's extraordinary. Uh, and we can see them as relatively, as in this is how God used to give God's word. And we saw the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned just a bit earlier, just in this book in Corinthians. We see him with utterances of wisdom. We see him with utterances of knowledge. But now we move on to the third one in this list. And it is faith. Faith comes in verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now, 
uh, a couple of weeks back on our Zoom session when we were discussing the sermon, and I really encourage you to get along. The discussion is good. The, the contributions are excellent. There's some great insight. Oh, I didn't hear that. Oh, that's really interesting. A, a great help too, so just a little plug there to come along. But at this Zoom session, there, there, was, there was a question that came up. It was a really helpful question, and it was along these lines. To be saved, we need faith. Does this mean we all have the gift of faith. So get the question. The question is, to be saved, we need faith. Does this mean that we all have the gift of faith? Because it is here in this list of spiritual gifts, the gift of faith. Now this sounds like there's a lot of logic here. It sounds like there's a lot of common sense in here. This sounds like a good idea. Because if we go to Ephesians 3 and verse 9, we read, and you probably, some of you will learn this off by heart, for by grace you've been saved. Through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a a gift of God. Amen. And so we, we read here and we see here that faith is a gift and we need faith for salvation. And faith has been given. So grace is what God gives to us. Grace is demonstrated in God sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this world. Grace is seen in God himself taking on human humanity and living in this world and living in a sinless way with no sin, a perfect life. And the wages of sin is death. And Jesus did not deserve death because he had never sinned. But Jesus chose to take death upon himself. And more than just take death upon himself, he took the punishment of the sins of his people. That's grace. No one deserves that. That's grace. That's what God was doing for his people. And Jesus was there enacting this out on the cross. And as he was nailed to the cross, as he cried out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the world darkened on around him, Christ was dying and paying the price of the sins of his people. And that's great. It's a fact. But that fact only becomes real to you in your life if you believe. And our believing, as John says in his gospel. And how do we translate from knowing a fact and it being something that we are believing and something that becomes part of our life? Well, we need faith. And that faith is given as a gift of God. And so we have a proof text here that shows us that salvation is received through the gift of faith. And and so the, the assumption is that this means that we all have the gift of faith. And it's absolutely right to say that all believers have the gift, we're going to qualify it here, of saving faith. We all have that. Every one of you here who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, every one of you here who's seen their sins for what they are in some sense, and God for who He is, and you've called upon the name of the Lord, and you are trusting in Jesus for your salvation, that has happened because the gift of faith has been given to you. And that faith is not yours. It's been given to you. And what I would just say as a side, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't know your sins to be forgiven, 
God's word tells us that now is the time. And how can you translate that knowledge that Christ died on the cross for the sins of his people for it becoming personal to yourself? Well, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And anyone here who is outside of God's kingdom, anyone here who doesn't know the peace of God for themselves, now is the time. Call upon the name of the Lord, repent of your sins, ask for forgiveness, and you will be saved. And then you can go, wow, that gift of faith was given to me. That's amazing. But the, the gift of saving faith is not the gift of faith that Paul is talking to, to the Corinthians here. It's different. This passage is not talking about saving faith, but it's talking about the spiritual gift of faith, which is different. Now, I want you to follow my argument to see why I'm saying that. We know from verse 11 that all spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit as he wills. The Holy Spirit gives them as he wills. And we know from this passage and others that different spiritual gifts are given to different, different people. And, and, and there's this example here, like it says with faith, it says, to another faith. Not to everybody, to another. So not everybody has this special spiritual gift of faith. Everyone has saving faith. Absolutely, full stop. But not everyone, not every one of these Corinthians had this special spiritual gift of faith. And so faith, this gift of spiritual faith, this extra faith that we'll come on to define more, and spiritual, uh, the, the gift of saving faith are not the same. They can't be the same because one is for everyone and the other is just for who the Holy Spirit gives to, and the Holy Spirit does not give that to everyone. The Holy Spirit gives saving faith to all God's people, to all who call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. That's given to them all. But, but this uh, gift of faith that we see here in verse 9 isn't what everyone has. And so let's just sort of see what it is. And we could say that this is a, a spiritual gift and it's an unusual measure of trust in, in God exercised beyond what most Christians do. And I was going to say most normal Christians, and there's no such thing as a normal Christian. It's just not right to think like that. We're all God's children, and, and normality is not what this is about. But what we see here is... Chapter 13 and verse 2 really helps us in this. So if you just flick across to chapter 13 and verse 2, uh, and so often we read this at weddings and we read this and have this painted on our walls and we just think of it as a love passage. This is actually talking very deeply into the subject of, of spiritual gifts and we're going to see that more as, as we go through it. But it says here in this verse 2, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains. The spiritual gift of faith is a faith akin to a mountain-moving 
face. Now, this doesn't actually have to be physical mountains. It could be metaphorical mountains. It can be someone who is led to, to pray for things that just wouldn't normally happen or normally be, and, and God works in a, in a dramatic way. But where we see this, to have the faith so as to remove mountains in, in chapter 12, chapter 13, verse 2, it, it, it gives a direct connection with Jesus' teaching. And Jesus is teaching to his disciples in Matthew 17:20 says it like this Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says because of your little faith and, and that was in connection to the, the, the fig tree and what was going on there. And he says, For I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move. Move from here and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So I could just ask you, how many mountains have you seen moved? And the best Palmac range is still there and we haven't got a sea view. And, and, and I haven't read any accounts in the New Testament of physical mountains being moved. So, so we're talking picture language, we're talking metaphorically here, but we're talking about big things, huge things. Not just faith in saying, well, interest rates are going to go up. We all know that's going to happen. That's, that's not great faith, yes? Uh, this, is, this, is, this is a faith beyond this. This is a faith primarily not in doctrine or teaching. Yes, We're all called to faith in God's promises. If, if we lack wisdom, what are we to do? We're to have faith in the promise that if we ask God, he will give it to us liberally. That's not astounding faith. That's God telling us as Christians what to do. Hebrews 11 is the chapter of the example of Old Testament faith. And there's remarkable accounts there from the New Testament pointing back to the Old Testament of, of the men and women that went before and their faith and how they hung on and the, how they hoped for things that weren't seen and how they kept on going. But I want to give us an example of this, this how we see the outworking of this gift of faith in the New Testament. And, and we read from Matthew uh, chapter nine earlier, sorry, chapter eight earlier, didn't we? We read from Matthew uh, chapter eight. We read of that centurion, and, and this this makes me smile a little bit, because the week before last was was the Bayram here, and the prisoners had a, a special dispensation to have guests come in and bring food and have three hours with them, and so I had three hours with with, with the prison I visit regularly from t uh, and uh, Sunday. And his big question was this. Lots of questions, but his big one that he kept coming back to. He had some heroes of the faith. And he said, which ones had the most faith? And he had some great names in there. He had people like Joshua and Abraham. And then he brought in this centurion. And then he brought in that lady that was afflicted with the issue of blood. And he said, I think they had more faith. And I'm thinking, okay. And he said, because faith isn't about what goes on. Faith is about what's going on inside. And he said, look, just think about this centurion. He is not a Jew. 
He's a centurion. He's a Roman. He doesn't have the Old Testament in his head. The Jews had all that. They knew all that. They knew about Yahweh. They knew about God. They knew about his power. He did not have that. And yet, he heard somehow of Jesus. He heard of Jesus' miracles. He heard of Jesus' healing. He had a son who was ill. And where does that faith come from? How did what stirred him up as a, as a non-Jew, an unbeliever, as it were, to come to Jesus, a Jew, and, and say to him, can, can you heal my son? And, and not only that, he says, don't, don't bother coming, just heal him. You don't, I mean, and Jesus marveled it. Verse 18, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now, Sunday loved that verse because that meant he won the argument. He said, look, no one no, found anyone with such faith. And then the centurion, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Not because you believed, as you believed. That's an interesting note there. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The servant was healed at that very moment. God did a miracle. Jesus did the miracle. And this man, where did he get that faith from? Had he been to the, the faith of Jim? The gym of faith, or whatever you call that? Had he been meditating? Had, had he been fasting for days? I'm going to do a dry fast. I'm going to do a wet fast. I'm going to do this fast. I'm going to... Dropped my seed offering and would do. He didn't. It, he just came in faith. Now that is the Holy Spirit at work, friends. That's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works in dramatic ways. And, and, and this gift of faith seems to be a miraculous ability to trust God in a specific situation for something God doesn't explicitly promise in the Bible. Yeah? Now, now, if you lack wisdom, you're told, we've used this example already, to go and ask for it. Yeah? That doesn't take great faith because God has said, ask for it. And if you ask for it, what happens? You get it abundantly. That's not great faith. That's just taking God at his word. Great faith is like this centurion. There's no promise in God's word for healing. The way some people talk, you think there is. But there is no promise in God's word for healing. There's a, there's, a, there's a promise of a loving Heavenly Father who will take care of us and all things will work out for the good for those who love Him. Those are there. But He goes and He has faith in something that's not promised. He believed that Jesus would heal. He asked for healing. And, and just like saving faith, it's not the faith that saves. It's not the, the, the faith that gives any merit. It's who we have faith in. And the spiritual gift of faith doesn't make the supernatural happen. God does. And we need to remember that. You see, I think sometimes we get seduced into this thought that the gift of faith is like a currency. And, and you, you go to your you go to your wallet of faith and you open it up and you put a deposit of faith down and say, right God, now you've got to do it for me. And that's not what it's about. You see, the gift of faith never outranks God's sovereignty. God is in control here. And the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts and lives and, and when they manifest the gift of faith, it's because God is at work. 
And if someone comes and declares that they've got a gift of faith to allow you to get a visa somewhere in the world, that is sheer rubbish. And if they ask for money and you give it to them, you've been deluded. Because that's not what's going on here. And then we go to the fourth one on the list. We have gifts of healing. To another, same language, to another, not everyone, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. So it's the Spirit's giving, gifts of healing, and it's to another. So the pattern is, is, is the same. So in the Corinthian church, there were people who had gifts of healing, one would assume. There were people that had a uh, gift of faith. We certainly know that, that Paul uttered uh, utterances of wisdom and, and knowledge, and we, we've seen that. But a gift of healing is, is to help a sick or wounded person become healthy again. A, a gift of healing isn't about a migraine. A, a gift of healing isn't about a sore throat. A gift of healing isn't about... A gift of healing, when it happens, is like this. Acts 3, verse 7. Acts 3, verse 7. Peter and John, they're walking through. They see a lame man. Yes? He's lame. He, he's been lame. He, he's, he's... I mean, you... you, you that there is, humanly speaking, no hope for this lame man. That the best hope that he has is holding out his hands and asking for money. And the more pathetic he looks and the more awful his case is, in some ways the more hopeless he is, but in this other sense the more opportunity is for people feeling compassion to give him money. And that, that's all that he was there for. He was there minding his own business, which was begging, because that's the only way he could provide for himself, and, and he asked the apostles for, 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 for a, d a donation. And they turn around, Peter, and says, In the name of Christ Jesus, rise up and walk. Can you imagine being there? The hullabaloo, all the people around about. There he is, destitute, with his begging pot, looking pitifully up. And, and this man doesn't put his hand in his pocket and throw a few coins in. This man just turns around to him and says, in the name of Christ Jesus, rise up and walk. And then he takes him by his right hand and he raises him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. We had a chorus we used to sing in our Sunday school. He went walking and leaping. And praising God. That was a picture. What happened? He didn't sort of stutter off the stage, needing help from people on other sides with everyone clapping. He leapt. It's dramatic. You see, miracles are dramatic. This is the thing we need to see. Miracles are miracles because they blast all our normal thought of what normality is. And when God works, this is how God works. He heals totally. Let's move on in Acts, Acts 19, and verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul, and, and God, and this is it, again, yes, it wasn't the Apostle Paul doing remarkable, extraordinary works, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. 
The gift is from the Holy Spirit. The person who has it is not the person. It is the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son who are the person. And God was doing these extraordinary miracles in the hands of Paul. And so his handkerchief or the aprons that he's touched, his skin, were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Now that's a miracle. And that's, that's not messing around, yes? The, the, the people that were lame, the people that were blind, they, they were given their sight back, they were given their walking back, they were healed totally. The evil spirits came out, and we, we, we read the account of the evil spirit coming out when Jesus cast them out, didn't we? And, and, and they went, and they saw they went, because he went to the pigs, and the pigs went down, and, and they saw they'd gone. It wasn't like, hmm, what's going to happen? Is this person going to come back in a couple more weeks' time and convulse at the front? What's going on? You see, these are events that were recorded in Acts. And these events happened before 1 Corinthians was written. And I'm sure that the believers had heard about these things. I'm sure that they knew of these things. Now, now, the, the only miracle that's recorded of, of healing after the book of 1 Corinthians is written is Paul on Malta when he was bitten by the snake and he should have died and he didn't and then there were others on the island that were, that were healed. But other than that, everything that's recorded in, the God, in, in God's word happened before. And so the Corinthians would, would have known about this. Now we need to look at the words carefully here. Because it gives us an idea of what's going on. It talks about gifts of healing. Not the gift of healing. Gifts of healing. Now those of you that love English and have studied English should be immediately seeing what the difference is. You might be thinking there's no difference. There is a big difference here. There's a difference going on here. And, and the difference here is healings. Well, no, so the difference here is uh, gifts of healing. A, a gift singular is what a person has. Gifts are what are given to somebody. And so the idea and the notion here, and it, and it helps us understand something that, that, that's going on here, is this isn't a permanent gift of healing. In God's Word, we don't have a category of person within the church who is the healer. There are apostles, there's preachers, there's teachers, there's prophets. But there's no category of a healer. There's no category of a healing ministry. But God clearly uses people for healings. Yeah? And then so what we're seeing here is that isn't the person has become a gifted healer. No, God uses that person to give gifts of healing to those who are ill, to those who are sick, to those who have problems. And, and so this, I, I believe, explains why there isn't the role of healer in the early church. And it's why it doesn't come up in the pastoral epistles. Timothy and Titus weren't called to be healers. They weren't called to appoint healers. There isn't a role within the church of a healer. There are people in the early church here that God used to give the gifts of healing or healing upon those who were ill. 
And God did it his way. You see, this is remarkable, isn't it? Because there was Timothy, and he was struggling with his stomach, yeah? And there's the Apostle Paul, and he touches a handkerchief, and it gets given to someone, and they're healed, yeah? And Paul says to Timothy, take a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake. Now, there's that whole can of worms there, which we're not going to enter into, about what exactly alcohol is, that's by the by. But what's interesting here is he didn't say, take my handkerchief to Timothy and heal him. Why didn't that happen? There's something greater here than us and our logic. It's the Holy Spirit's work, this. And this is what we need to see. And, and we, we haven't got any biblical examples of healing at Corinth. And when you go into this chapter 13, chapter 13 lists a whole load of the, the gifts and contrasts them to love and, and the gift of healing doesn't come up. And then it may just be that there wasn't anyone actually in Corinth who had the gifts of healing. But they'd heard about it. And we have heard about it. And so we have to be careful with these things. But close, closely, closely linked to healing is the working of miracles. Ten. To another, the working of miracles. And, and the working of miracles is, is, is more of a, a, a general term in some ways. Uh, and it possibly could include healing, but it also includes things outside of healing. And I, I think we could quite easily put into here when uh, evil spirits were sent out, uh, a gift, uh, exorcism, uh, something like that that could be happened. Uh, a miracle is an event that's brought about the power of, by the power of God and is temporary. Like I said before, if a miracle happened every day of the week, it wouldn't be a miracle, would it? It would just be, oh, that's it again. Yeah, fine. Another 10,000 in my bank. What a shame. Oh, it's there again. Oh, that's not a miracle, is it, if it happens every day? If you're expecting the same thing to happen every day, that's not a miracle. That's normal life. A, a miracle is, 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 is temporary. It's exceptional. It's exceptional to the course of nature. And it's for the purpose of God showing that he's acted in history. This is God saying. It's God's highlighter pen. It's God taking a highlighter pen round an event and saying, look, I am here. Look, this is me. The only way to describe it is God Almighty has acted. And so we, we read that passage in uh, Acts 19, verse 11 and 12, and this is the Paul. Uh, and Paul was, was doing extraordinary miracles, and there's some examples given. There's healing there, of course. But then there's also evil spirits that came out of them. Miraculous. Evil spirits don't leave on their own accord. Evil spirits have to be told to go, and, and, and people can have, and Paul did, and in the New Testament we see people with that gift and that ability but it wasn't their ability they were who God used to do it we also see something that's a bit strange Acts 13 and verse 11 this is really quite close to home if you go that direction which you're not allowed because of the border that stops you but if you could go that direction to Paphos you come to the place where Paul and Barnabas were. Uh, and, and there was this situation that happened, 
and there was this man causing a problem. And then Paul said, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. That's a miracle. It's frightening, isn't that? The Holy Spirit worked in a dramatic way here in Cyprus. A man was blinded for a season because of him coming up against God and because the Apostle Paul had that gift and through the Holy Spirit it was wrought. A few weeks ago we were in Acts 5, weren't we? Talking about Ananias and Sapphira and, and Peter and what was going on there. And Ananias was challenged. And in verse 5 it says, And when he heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. There are lots of miracles in God's word, but there's fewer than you'd think. Because if they were happening all the time, they wouldn't be miraculous. And you see, they, they, they serve various functions. I'm just going to give you some references, and I haven't got the references on the PowerPoint, so what I'll do is I'll put these into the, uh, the group chat so you can, you can look them up later. 1 Kings 18. Miracles show God's superiority over false gods. In Isaiah 38, we see that miracles validate God's message. In Exodus, when they were wanting to leave, God's miracles brought punishment. And just that passage read there in Acts 5.9, we see God's punishment being measured out miraculously. God meets human needs by supplying food, and we see that in Exodus 16 by the manna, and we see that in Matthew 15, the feeding of the 5,000. Miracles convey important messages from God, like in Daniel 5, 1 to 12. Miracles of exorcisms set people free from demonic control and spread the good news of Jesus, like in Luke 4, 31 to 37. And miracles of resurrection, which we see in the Old Testament and the New, demonstrate God's sovereignty and almighty power. And the risen Christ demonstrates God's authority over all. And a miracle is a divine work of God that transcends human understanding and inspires wonders and displays the greatness of God and causes the people to recognize that God is active in the world and the church, the church, God's people are blessed and it benefits them because God's kingdom comes and people see it. And so the, the, the challenge that these people at Corinth had was how would these miracles benefit the church? And, and we see that Paul and the apostles did not use these gifts for their own benefit. We never see them using these gifts for their own benefit. These gifts were to point to Christ the Lord. These gifts were being used to see the church built up. They were never used to drum up a crowd. 
We don't have a strategy meeting of, of, of Paul and Barnabas and the others thinking, well, how do we get the crowd in? Well, let's do a few miracles and the crowd will come and then we can share the gospel. No, it doesn't work like that. You don't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. The Holy Spirit works as the Holy Spirit will work. And they didn't do these things to increase the offering. You, you, there he is, the lame man walking and leaping, and then Paul gets a basket out. Please fill this up. And then I'll give a little bit to him, and we'll take the rest away ourselves. That wasn't what was going on. The, 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 the gifts here were being used for the benefit of the church, and they were pointing to Christ and Christ crucified. And then they didn't use these gifts to get what they want. I mean, perhaps you'd think, well, if they were in this day and age, they'd be all over their status and all over their Instagram and all over the rest. I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be. In fact, I know it wouldn't be. Because that wasn't what was happening then. You see, these gifts, as all gifts, were given by the Holy Spirit. And the ones that the church at Corinth had were given because the church at Corinth needed them. And they were given primarily for the benefit of the church. And next week we will carry on and look at the rest. And then the following week, God willing, we'll work out what that means for us right now. How, does it, how do they figure in our lives and our church life here at LPC? Let's pray.